Hi, this is Paul from the Marriage Foundation Show. My co-host, David Cruz, is standing by. Hello, David. Hi, Paul. And today's topic is an interesting one, I think. David, you tell me what you think. And the question is, is it normal to have doubts in a relationship? David? I don't know. It, and, and so I'm going to be interested to hear what you have to say here, Paul, because, <laughs> because I, don't, I don't have any doubts. I mean, uh-huh. I, I, at the moment, I have, I, I have zero doubts in my relationship. But, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be uh, naive enough to say that people don't have doubts in their relationships or, you know, that it's abnormal to have doubts in your relationship. Probably is. I'm just going to be real interested to see where this goes with you today. So um, let's go. Let's see what happens. All right. So when when I saw this question, I may have seen it a little differently than most people because the the person who wrote in it doesn't matter whether it was a a man or a woman. Uh, this this is a question for people before they're married mm. and. They use the term relationship, not do I have doubts in my marriage. And I'm really glad, David, that you don't have any doubts <laughs> in your marital relationship, because uh, frankly, that would be a scary thing. Yeah. So here's how I see it. And, you know, most of what we do at the Marriage Foundation is based on rock solid principles. And then there are the opinions that I have or the counselors have, and those should be back-upable, if you will. I'm going to take a swing, and hopefully it's a home run. If it's only a third, hit hit, or, or, hit the ball to third, or, that's okay. Or triple, a triple, yeah. <laughs> or a triple. <laughs> so here, here's the deal. And I'm using – and David, I'm using this because um, I've worked with individuals – before they got married. In fact, one day um, I was sitting at a Starbucks and I was speaking to a friend of mine at the time. Uh, I used to lovingly call him Joe the Baptist because he he ran the Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church, and he's since retired. And he and I would just have great discussions. And a young lady was listening in and she said excuse me can can you tell me what you guys do this is fascinating and we shared what our occupations were and she said well you know it's funny you should be here because i've been with my boyfriend for 7 years kind of got set up by her parents and she wasn't sure so I gave her some suggestions. Now, being sure meant doubts, right? And I thought this is very healthy. Yeah. How how how, and how I old, gave how it a old, lot of thought. How old was she, Paul? I'm going to guess she was in her early twenties, maybe mid twenties. She, she had very been, she had been with her boyfriend for seven years, so twenty five, twenty seven, twenty eight. Somewhere in that, somewhere yeah, in that so, range. Okay. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And I wouldn't swear that it was seven years, but it was a long period of time. It wasn't like a year or two. And she admired him, but there was something that she just wasn't sure of. So 
We started a sister organization called Premarital Academy, where we help people find their soulmates and help people who are about to get married with some good advice and good suggestions. And and so this came up and it really fell into that realm. And my thing is this, until the day you're married, you are vetting the person that you intend to marry. And it goes through stages. First, you're dating based on some attraction, whether it's uh, physical or some intellectual attraction, or someone sets you up and then you're wondering, well, should I go out with them again? And you decide to, there's some hope and promise. And remember, when we're not married, we're always looking to be married. So there's this vetting process. We want to know if this is the right person. The trouble is most people don't. They don't vet. They don't really scrutinize the person. They're just asking themselves, uh, do I get along? Is there physical attraction? Are, are they easy on my eyes? And really kind of random questions. I mean, and isn't it, isn't it say, more like, I, I get the feeling that most people, especially in their 20s, when they're dating, is everything still on a high? Is everything staying on a high? And if it stays on a high, yep. and we can do that for a long enough period of time, we should be getting married. I mean, I don't, I right. don't even think people even think about the word vetting. That's, right. They don't. And, and so I'll tell you what I tell people to do. And you tell me if this makes sense. I tell people, even if you're in a relationship, in your mind, kind of put it on hold and start creating a list. And on this list, put literally every attribute of a partner that you find attractive. That's list A. List B, every attribute that you find unattractive. And then over the course of time, and when I did my list, because I did a list too, it took me a year of prioritizing. Because then I, I feel what it does is it creates sort of this subconscious awareness of people even before they utter their first word. Because the subconscious mind is very powerful. The subconscious mind collects data and it's all there, and we just draw upon it. Your subconscious mind is going to do a lot of the work for you. And then there's the spiritual component, where when you have defined the person that you want to be with clearly to yourself, I believe it creates a magnetic attraction. Are you saying that the, if, if you put a list together, the right list together for what you're looking for, that that will alleviate the doubts that you have? Well, in a way, let's go through the stages. So you put together the list, and unfortunately, we live in a world where devious people exist, like probably more devious than not devious. And if you don't have good information about this person, you better have doubts. And if you met somebody and they're from out of town or something, I even advise people hire a private detective and really find out about this person. 
because, and now we're going to hit on the doubts. Once you have given your vows, you should not allow any doubts to exist in your mind. So, And we control our own mind. We have free will. So whether a doubt comes up or not, you don't allow it any time and energy in your mind because it will undermine your happiness. And why do we get married again? Happiness and love. Yeah. So I, I kind of what you're saying, Paul, what I'm hearing you saying is that if you don't have the list, you're much more apt to make an emotional decision about this person as opposed to looking at things rationally. And that's and right. if you, whereas if you have the list and you know what you're looking for, that you can, you can, you can say, you know, I, I just, as, as emotionally tied to I am to this person that may be destructive for me, I, I gotta, you know, I, I gotta look at this thing rationally. Yes. Now, once you're married, right. you, now look, okay. it can happen that even after you're married, something happens that just catches you right off guard. And and again, you got to be very practical. This is your life. So well, if you gave your vows, yeah. but the person totally deceived you, you discovered they're, for instance, a pedophile or bisexual, which means they're likely, if you find this out now, that means they're probably cheating on you. So they have just demolished the foundation of trust that would go into a marriage. And so to me, you have the right to bail. You have the right to get out. Rather than entertain the doubts, do a nice evaluation and decide, is this true? Is it something I want? Or should I get out of the relationship? Now, if you have kids, forget all of that. But I, You have kids, yeah. you stay. Yeah. But that, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm happily married to Pam, but I, she definitely, she'll definitely tell you that I, I'm the I'm pretty much the same person that she saw before we got married to what she ended up with. But she'll tell you that mm -hmm. there are things about me that she learned after we were married that she didn't know about me before we got married. And I would tell you the same thing about her, but not, but sure. none of them are what I would consider drastic or way out of line. But so where do you kind of draw the line there, Paul? Because you can't know everything about somebody before you get married. You can't know everything. And even, even if you're not trying, I, I wasn't trying to hide anything from Pam. I wanted her to know exactly what she was, who she was marrying. But right. So how, you know, where does that, where do you draw the line with that kind of thing? Well, let's also bear another very important factor in mind, and that is who you were before you moved in together was very different than who you are after you move in, because you have your own space and you can handle things that come up for you in your own way, out of range, out of eyesight of the other person and vice versa. So the dynamic, once you get married, everything eventually gets exposed. And it gets exposed 
typically because of human nature and because people haven't learned how to be married, and that's important. But if you haven't learned how to be married, you don't know what to expect. And so these, what you consider changes, but aren't really changes, they're just modifications based on interactions. Well, you know, it could be, it, they could cause doubts. I mean, Paul, it could be a modification based upon the actions. It also, I, I, I remember, it also could be that you just, you grow, you change a little bit. You, you, you modify, you, I think we all kind of change, change after a certain part of certain period of time. I mean, I, I remember I, I went through a, a training exercise uh, with a company that I worked with and, and they said, um, you really have to discount anything somebody did and was like five years prior. Because in the five-year period, sure. they could change. Um, they could they could become a better person. You, you can't go by everything they did, something prior to five years before you, you know, were talking to them. So I, I that's I, right. I, I've known throughout my life that I would say every five year period, for the most part, I've grown in some respect. I've changed. I've learned. I've done. Mm -hmm. and so you know, it's, it, you got your list going, and you want to be rational about the person and not have doubts about them. But you also you're also with somebody that's evolving. Well, let's let's also take a look at what causes somebody to even ask that question. Okay. That question comes up because maybe their partner lied to them about something. Right. Or maybe they lied to somebody else in front of them, and they're thinking, wow, I didn't know they're capable of lying. Or maybe the woman, the wife, sees her husband look at a woman, just casually glancing at her, and she becomes concerned, jealous, mm -hmm. confused, whatever term you want to be there. But these stimulations of this doubt need to be filtered in the right context. It's, it's incumbent upon us and, th and I push this all the time, as you know. I think one of the greatest screw-ups in our society is that we don't teach ourselves, our kids, each other, that we're supposed to be in charge of how our mind works. We don't learn about how the mind works. We don't learn who we are. People say things that are technically incorrect, like, I'm jealous. Well, you cannot be jealous unless you are the mind, and you're not. And if you understand you are not the mind, then your first inclination would be, if you have this understanding, would be to challenge your mind as to why it's jealous, rather than taking on, I'm jealous, you know, there, there's one of these programs out there. It's, it's, it's AA. I'm going to get hell for this, I know. But because the people who have been helped by AA think that it's AA that has helped them. And in reality, it's the community and the peer pressure and the peer support that has helped them. But the people who go to AA start in their meetings by going, Hi, my name is Paul, and I'm an alcoholic. 
well, that's an inaccurate statement, even if somebody is an alcoholic. Because it's taking it on, and you as an individual, you're a soul. Well, your soul cannot be an alcoholic, but your mind is subject to this substance, alcohol. It's developed a dependency, and the mind is an alcoholic, but I am a soul. So it would be like somebody saying, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a jealous person. And, 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 and yes. then at that point... You have believe you have you're now putting that into your into yourself that you are a jealous person and that is who you are. But you're saying, but yeah, you're, you but, dropped but you're saying you're saying you're not that person. And by and by no. saying that out loud, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? That's right. You, you know, we don't understand the mind, so we don't understand how the subconscious works. So most people vaguely know that their sense of hearing is like one of the most impressive senses that we have. When we hear something, I'll tell you who does know are, are the tech companies, uh, radio, television, they all know that. When you hear something, the mind almost automatically accepts it, true or not. And then it has to filter so when we say to ourselves, because if we say it out loud, we're hearing it, I'm an alcoholic, then the mind is thinking, yeah, man, I'm an alcoholic. What a bummer. And then you have to crawl out of that hole. So if we were learning these things as children, that we need to manage our minds, we need to understand how the mind works, how our filters work which are all under our control because we have free will, we'll be way better off. So this whole thing about being with somebody else and having doubts, you got to determine, are they legitimate? Are these doubts legitimate? Or, or am I coming from a place of innate fear? Or, or unfounded fear. Is it right? Or unfounded fear. And, but it's innate because the physical body is comprised of a trillion cells that are all striving to survive. And so fear is its protection. So is it normal, Paul, is and, it normal, Paul for people to have, the, have this going on in their mind, in their head? Does this, is this a normal thing for um, most people to have that kind of thing where you have unfounded thoughts coming into your head that give you doubts about things or doubts about your relationship? Well, that's a multiple part question. Um, normal would mean that, you know, most people have doubts. And I would, I would say... Well, most people have... I'm, I'm saying most, most, most people have these things coming into their head. Yes. Uh, thoughts are things and are floating around on the outside of us, and our mind catches them in our net of awareness, which triggers something in the subconscious, and up comes this thought. It's random. Right. When you understand your mind, you realize that you're not responsible for that first thought. One should think of that first thought, whatever it is, as where the heck did that come from? You are responsible for the second thought. If you want to go down that track of thoughts, and I guess they call it the train of thoughts, right. it's up to you. 
It's up to you whether you deem that thought worthy of your attention and more thoughts or not. But these random thoughts are common for all of us. All of us have these weird thoughts of suspicion, of doubt, of questioning, self-questioning. All of these are normal. And people who don't know how to deal with them become neurotic, frankly. They wrap around them, and and then they go to a psychologist who helps them get sucked into it even further, which is a shame. I know that you you go to a Western psychologist, and they're going to actually drill those doubts into your head even more because they get you to talk about them even more. And the more you you talk about them, the more you go, you know, I I probably have a legitimate reason for thinking that. Um, You you actually become more the thought. The interesting thing, I'm going to stop you here for a second, Paul, because I know, you know, there's a lot to this and how you can control your, your mind and control your thoughts. And, and I mean, we can't do it in this time period, but the Marriage Foundation does do that kind of thing. That, that's the program that you go through in the Marriage Foundation is the, is what provides that track to run on and how to, better control your mind and your doubts. And you may want to say a few things about the Marriage Foundation at this point. A word about our sponsor? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I founded the Marriage Foundation. And as, as you know, David, my intention uh, was to get the word out. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm one of those crazy people who donates more than he makes to various causes and, and, likes to do things. I, I mean, could attest to way that. back. I could attest to that in yeah. a big way. Yes. Way back in the 70s, I started the Hartford Food Co-op. And it's like, I've always been an idealist. And and I used to be a divorce mediator and realized that way too many people were getting a divorce and there's something wrong with the Western psychological approach. So um, and, and, I dug deep. And, 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 and you never did it. You, you, you know, I knew you when you were doing divorce mediation. And if I remember right, Paul, you didn't charge people for it. You let them pay you what they thought they wanted to. And if they didn't pay you, they didn't pay you. you well, that came, that came later. But for the divorce mediation, actually, I did pretty well. It was good business. It was it was when I started helping couples, and yeah, I had a base rate. It was three hundred dollars a session, but if they couldn't afford it, it was no right. problem. And I was well taken advantage by local social workers in San Diego County who would send me people who were just unable to afford going to any kind of marriage help program. But we came up with these. I I think they're far superior ideas about marriage. I mean, it's based on the idea that you should be every day happier than the day before, and you should be experiencing unconditional love, which is a term that's tossed around. People don't understand it, but it's a very spiritual thing. It's that love that you feel once in a while, but the mind can't take it. So you're happy you felt it, but then you move on real quick. And it's Ironic, because that's why you get married, and you should have that constantly. And when you know what you're doing, you will. So I have written a couple of books, but you know what's really exciting, we have two programs, one for men and one for women, which 
really is very complete. It's a 12-week course, and, and the classes are primarily in videos where I explain things thoroughly. Right. And it begins with controlling your mind. It, I mean, there's obviously the guardrails for men. We say, um, never use your power against your wife. For women, we explain how men are different and they should have different set of expectations. But it's all focused on how to control your mind. And I created some tools and methodologies where people can leverage this. And then they have access to our counselors. They could write in anytime they want. The counselors are really good. And the success rate is just wonderful. I mean, people whose marriages were truly on the brink. And and it's different for men or women. Usually men discover too late that their marriage is going down the tubes and they can't rescue it because once a wife has left her marriage in her mind, it's pretty almost impossible to retrieve it. Well, but if they catch a whiff and they take the course for men, they'll, they'll get it back. But a woman, even if her husband has physically left, it's possible to bring the marriage back. Well, we, we get some emails. God, they're sad. You know, a woman will write, you know, my, my husband told me he's never loved me. Do I stand a chance? And we say, yes. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because he's only telling you that because he's really mad at you. Of course he loved you. So, you know, there's a whole lot to this whole marriage thing. And it's well worth getting into. Thank you for mentioning no, I, that. I, you, I, your, your, books, your books are incredible. I know Breaking the Cycle, I've given that to people that are in pretty bad situations. And it has helped them significantly um, get their relationship back. <laughs> we... We don't tell people what to do. You know, our counselors, some people write in and they go, you know, I've got this problem and I, and I, and I don't know how to tell my husband's mother, blah, 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 what should I do? And we're not going to tell them what to do. Because if their marriage was working, they wouldn't need to ask anybody because they would be so in touch with their spouse that they would be able to understand what their spouse really needs. Outer situations never, ever destroy a marriage. I mean, I say never, ever. I mean, if you discover your wife or husband's a pedophile, I mean, that's different. But otherwise, it's just you're not connecting at the level that you're supposed to be connecting at. Or all of these issues would disappear. Okay. They, they wouldn't exist. I'm, I'm going to go back to doubts in a relationship, Paul, because I want to go, I want to ask a question that actually came into the foundation. So I'm going to ask it. This question was, what do I do? And I'm going to paraphrase it because the question was, my, my spouse always doubts me. And, but the, the question I would have would be, you know, you've been talking about what do you do for your, to your, for yourself? If you have doubts, and, and you've mm -hmm. talked about controlling your mind as being the key, one of the key steps, if not the key step, but what do you do? Mm -hmm. What do you do if the person you're in a relationship with shows, uh, un, let's say, unfounded doubts? Yeah, they don't trust you, right? They, there's a lot of unfounded doubts about you or about the relationship, and so what do you do with that? Okay, so. 
it does happen. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen where men are uh, doubting their wives. It happens from time to time. And in those cases, because it's very, gender makes a lot of difference. So in those situations, usually the man is controlling and it's his way of manipulating his wife. So if you're the wife Mm -hmm. in that situation, you're married, and your husband to a controlling guy, you're married to a controlling guy. So this is one of those situations where it's so helpful to remember why you married him. And what happens is because of human nature, our minds tend to zero in on the negative traits of whomever we're with, even when we're looking at artwork or buying a new car. The first place our mind goes to are the flaws. What don't I like about this? And the same thing's happening with, in this case, your husband. You're noticing that, and and I'm not saying what he's doing is cool, but it's getting overblown in your mind, which is sending a message to him that he has something to worry about. And so then he comes back at you with more doubt and it starts bouncing back and forth and it builds where in the beginning, it might've been just a little innocent. Well, where are you going with your girlfriend? Because he was curious. And it just over time, not even in that particular moment, but over time built into this huge thing cloud. I say cloud because it has no real substance. So the thing to do when you're the wife in this situation is to focus back on the love, get back into pouring out the love, being very careful not to trigger him. Don't criticize him, even in your mind. Don't blame him. Don't look for problems. Instead, look for the good stuff. Redirect your own efforts towards building your relationship in a positive way. Now, let's turn it the other way. Let's say the wife is doubting you, the husband, and we can say she has this tendency, again, her mind has this tendency to be insecure, jealous, we would call it, because from the outside, that's what it's looking like. But we have to remember, we married these people based on their better attributes and a healthy desire to connect with them in the sea of love that exists between you. So, If one sees their wife is jealous, demanding, insecure, then one should go there and go, wow, honey, I love you. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Just ignore her 
insecurity and how it's manifesting. And it does two things. One, it distracts from this thing in her head and it puts energy of love back into the marriage. And that's how you deal with it when your spouse has doubts. Make sense? Makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking while you're saying that of the people who made lists about their spouse before they got married. And Mm -hmm. on that list is, you know, you're not going to put the list that you're looking for somebody insecure. You're not. (laughs) No. But but on the other hand, I kind of think there's, I could be, you know, again, this is just me thinking out loud, Paul, but I kind of think there's a lot of men who like the woman to be a little insecure um, while they're dating them. It just gets them to feel like this person is is just going to be more, you know, they're, they're not going to be apt to leave me. They're going to stay with me. This is the person I'm so attracted to. And I kind of like that they're a little insecure because um, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep them. I, I, I got a good, yeah. So I can understand that desire, yeah. but it's it's not a healthy desire no, it isn't. to have no, that. Because that's, and no, and I think that's what you're saying about make the list. You make the list, you do all your vetting beforehand, but once you're married, you're married, and then you need to really learn the skills, the art of marriage. And we, we have to wrap up this podcast. We've been running a little long, but I, I, I just want to share you know, this idea, this philosophy that has been the driving force. And it's, to me, it's so important. And that is to remember that there's two reasons, top line reasons for marriage. One is to be happy. You don't get married to be miserable and you don't get married to have a mundane, stagnant life. You want to be happy, and you feel that with this person, you will be happier. You have to know how to do that. You can't just have this expectation without the knowledge, or it won't happen. The other top line, to me, is even much more important And that is you want to experience unconditional love because that state of love is just changes your life. It's off the charts. And when you learn how to carry that around with you all day, every single day, it does not get old because love has no boundary. Its nature is infinite. And Yet it's tangible, it's spiritual, very deep, very soothing, all-fulfilling love. And I, and I think that that's worthwhile learning. And we have our YouTube videos. You could go there. You could go to the website, themarriagefoundation.org, and you could listen to these podcasts. And hopefully you'll get, and I hate using the term help, Hopefully you'll get inspired to really learn about marriage and, and get the most out of your marriage. I'm just going to say, don't, don't think you can't get that. 
in life. You know, a lot of people get to a certain point where they think, I've never had that. I can't get to it. It's not going to happen to me. It's just maybe it's something that happens for other people, but not me. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was one of those people. And I could tell you that <laughs> it um, it can. And when it does, it's unbelievable. It's really, yeah, it's, there's it, it's, like there's, it. There is truly nothing like that when you have un- no, when you have unconditional love. It really is spectacular. So I'm agreeing with you 100 yeah. percent, Paul. Yeah, David, thank you for uh, spending this time with me. I really appreciate your co-host. I, I, and, I always uh, learn. I always get something out of every session with you, Paul. So um, <laughs> um, I I do enjoy doing this with you. Thank you. And you're good because you challenge me, oh. and uh, I. Yeah. I like the challenges, be, not not because it forces me to think about it, but what it does is it helps me to recall how exciting it is to have a great marriage. Yeah. And I just want everyone to have a great marriage. I really yeah. do. And, and, yeah, really. And, and you have a program that does that for people, that truly does it for people, Paul. So, yeah, I, yeah I'm asking you questions because I want to learn, and I... Um, but I, I, your program does do that for people. So it's, um, it's incredible. So, okay. Thanks. That's it. All right. Let me just give those uh, phone numbers one last time. And it would be 1-855-527-5863. Call us or write in by going to themarriagefoundation.org, go to Ask a Counselor and write in and let us know you'd like your question brought up during the show. And thank you, David, and thank you, folks. And we will see you next time. God bless. Take care.